I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. The Port of New Orleans and New Orleans Public Belt Railroad have combined revenues of $100 million, nearly 500 employees, and more than $200 million in capital projects. Today, we talked to Brandy Christian, the president and CEO of the two public agencies, about how the pandemic has impacted them and what's up around the bend. Brandy, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Rich. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Glad to do it. So, I was just saying that, you know, I've been here for 30 years and, you know, make groceries uh, up on Chapatulas and you, uh, you hear all the sounds coming on the other side of the flood wall, but I don't really understand what's happening over there. Can you just give us a, like a big picture view of what's happening at the port? How many people are there? How much material is being moved? All that stuff. Certainly. Um, yeah, uh, the, the Port of New Orleans, obviously, uh, the city of New Orleans was actually founded uh, for, to take advantage of moving cargo and uh, having ships arrive to move that cargo. And over the last 300 years, operations, as you can imagine, have dramatically changed. Yeah. Uh, many of our operations have for, uh, long existed over in the uptown area, the old uptown wharves. Uh, behind the flood wall and it's a mix of business and a lot of activity that occurs behind there. Um, it's both containerized cargo as well as non-containerized cargo. Um, on an average day you have at least five to six hundred employees of the various tenants and the ship's agents working um, and it's some of your traditional activities from you know warehousing to um, uh, staff operating uh, forklifts to operating cranes. But we also have the New Orleans Public Belt, their main classification yard um, for sorting trains are actually um, located right next to the container terminal. So it is um, a, quite a bit of activity, but as you said, when you drive down Chapatulis, you kind of only see the tops of the cranes and right. maybe some containers. So the, the container terminal, where is that exactly? Is that at uh... Uh, the Napoleon uh, Avenue? Uh, the in the Napoleon Avenue is Napoleon Wharf. That is the primary kind of center location of the container terminal. Okay, and so basically, you're at Tipitina's. You walk a few, uh, walk across the flood wall, and then there you are. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, along the river, where, where does where does Port Nola start downriver, and where does it stop? When does it become Port of South Louisiana? Or? <laughs> Yeah, the Port of New Orleans uh, jurisdiction is actually across three parishes, so about 26 miles of riverfront from St. Bernard Parish, okay. Orleans Parish, and Jefferson Parish, all the way past, just past Avondale Shipyard, uh, okay. all the way to the uh, beginning of the parish line of St. Bernard. So we have some various uh, different wharfs and operations, as well as there's a lot of private ownership as well, some private operations that are cargo-related. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so now you, I, I thrown out some numbers that I that I had as research that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Port Nola and the, the Public Belt have a combined revenue of a hundred million. I assume all that stuff I said was based on a normal year. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so what uh, what the heck happened this past year? Uh, I know that ports around the world were all challenged by all sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. Talk about how it, uh, the pandemic affected us. Sure. 
the, um, you know, it, it was a interesting year for us, obviously, like everyone else, 2020, because uh, in the, in the ports portfolio, we actually operate four lines of business, uh, which is our cargo business, which is the containers and the non-containerized cargo, the cruise business, as well as a number of real estate holdings with leases uh, with industrial development tenants and also the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad. So thankfully, we're a very diverse portfolio. Um, so as COVID um, you know, started impacting various ports, luckily some of the lines of business were hit harder than the others that we were able to kind of manage that as an agency. Um, but the impact, you know, I think initially uh, felt was strong, obviously with the cruise business, that's been the biggest right. impact. Right. Uh, prior to COVID, we were actually set to break another record. Uh, it, in 2019, you know, we were the number six busiest cruise port in the United States. Mm. And we were on track to uh, do another at least 1.5 million passengers here in New Orleans. Uh, that, you know, that's about an $18 million um, revenue hit to the port in an annual year, in um, a fiscal year, is what we make on the cruise business. $18 million for 20? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. we were on track uh, for the volumes we were projecting. It should have been about $18 million in our budget, and that was all completely halted. So that's been the biggest impact. And obviously, mm -hmm. there's impact to the port, but sadly, the impact is greater to the region um, because of the amount of tourism activity that the cruise lines generate. Um, we're responsible for over 300,000 hotel room nights. Right. Um, when the cruises come in, uh, restaurants, you name it, have been impacted. But, um, you know, I think people often don't think about the small businesses that rely on the cruise industry, everything from your florist to the piano tuner, the dry cleaner, that mm. services those ships have had the impact from uh, the halt to that business. And we are very optimistic that when the cruise industry returns, that New Orleans will be one of the first markets to come back. Um, Okay, but I have a question. You mentioned you mentioned piano tuners. Is that a thing? I have a buddy who's a piano tuner. Do, do they? It uh, really is. Every time yep, they. Every time. <laughs> yep. Every time the cruise ship comes in, uh, they have piano tuners come on board and uh, check the pianos, tune up the pianos. And they probably got several on each ship, right? So that's a thing. You know. Oh, absolutely. So it's it's a very. I mean, they're a huge customer for a small business like that. I definitely never thought of that. Yeah, but I exactly. Did. I definitely have thought about the, the effect on the uh, downtown restaurants because, you know, I've done a lot of, had a lot of conversations over the past year with Stephen Perry and everybody at, you know, uh, New Orleans mm -hmm. and Company about, you know, the effect this has all had on the tourism industry. And we know that the cruise ships is a big part of that. Yeah. Now, also, I get press releases every, you know, month from Carnival uh, where they, they kept thinking, okay, we're coming back. And then, no, we're not coming back. And then we're coming mm -hmm. back. What, what, what do you think now? Any guess when they might actually, I saw they've scheduled Jazz Fest roughly for the fall. What about the cruises? <laughs> you know, um, the cruise industry, they have really come together in a unified way to come up with protocols and really think hard about when they do come back into service. Um, they know that they, they've got to be successful. Um, when they come out, they've been very aggressive about protocols like mandatory testing. Um, Right now, we're seeing, I think the river cruises probably will come back sooner. Those are shorter, you know, they cruise on the river, they're very small vessels. Right now, they're, they're saying spring. Um, some of our ocean-going cruises have um, some calls scheduled for April, 
But, you know, frankly, it's kind of pushing month by month. I think my perspective is they're going to look for the vaccination to roll out. Um, we're so close to that, that it would make sense to not risk it. Um, right. And in the meantime, they can really put in place some very um, stringent protocols, but also they're making a lot of investments in not only their ships um, for, you know, social distancing, uh, some of the programs they had in place to allow for that more um, virtual type of activity. So um, I really think you're going to see um, it will excel as the vaccinations roll out more. But I'm optimistic that you'll see ocean-going cruises coming back by the end of the year. Um, the question is, you know, how fast do they come back? And you're starting to see a couple of them sailing in Europe now. So we're watching to see okay. how successful that is. Oh, I didn't realize. That's good. Okay. So there's a, mm -hmm. there's a beta test out there. Yeah. And our indications from our cruise partners is that probably uh, Florida, Texas, and New Orleans will be some of the first ports to come back. Okay. Because we're a very, um, you know, we're, we've got shorter itineraries. They're going to want to stay domestic, not exotic um, itineraries, that it makes a lot of sense for them. So I'm confident that uh, we'll, be, we'll be a strong rebound for us. Got you. And uh, now, what percentage of y'all's total annual business does the cruise side of things represent? You know, right now, it's probably about 17% of our revenue. Uh, our largest is obviously the cargo. That's about 50% um, of our activity. And the railroad, um, New Orleans Public Belt Rail, is also around about 30%. Gotcha. So and, uh, in my uh, just ignorant just grasp of this, I assume that the, the, the reason the, the railroad is all connected to this because you guys operate that because that's the way people get mm -hmm. all the stuff they've taken off the ships to where it needs to go. Is that more or less what mm -hmm. happens? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the New Orleans Public Belt Railroad uh, was actually uh, developed as a um, entity to support the Port of New Orleans, but it was owned by the city of New Orleans. Okay. And uh, we, didn't do, uh, we didn't do a lot of planning or uh, market development together um, strategy. Uh, about three years ago, we negotiated a deal with the city of New Orleans where the port acquired the New Orleans Public Belt. And uh, we've completed that transition and it's been very successful from a commercial standpoint, the relationship with the other uh, class one railroads that we service uh, has been great, but also the investments we've been able to make into the public belt and the joint planning um, and the impact that we've had on the community um, because we've had more coordinated um, efforts, we, you know, we've been able to improve the fluidity of the railroad and what that means for the everyday citizens. You have le less blocked crossings, um, things like that, because we can share um, facilities and resources and um, it's been a very successful partnership. And so um, we completed that transition over the last three years. So does, does the public belt, does it take the, the containers and all, all the material to a certain point and then it gets, it gets, transferred? Is that what happens? Where does that happen? Like how far does so, public belt go? Sure. Um, the public belt has about 26 miles of track and we are the, there's only four rail gateways in the country where all of the uh, main, the six major class one railroads all converge. They meet up. 
Okay. And um, that gateway has to be coordinated very closely, or you can imagine you have one big massive traffic jam. Oh my God. So the New Orleans Public Belt is the entity that will go out and pick up, um, receive the train, bring it in, and classify it and help pass it off to the other class one to go to another part of the country. Okay. So each of the class ones have small yards within the New Orleans region. So we go out and pick them up and then um, we bring them into the city and reclassify them to uh, connect to the other trains. And is that all happening along the riverfront basically? The uh, combination of the riverfront as well as the Norfolk Southern operates the back belt that runs through Metairie. Um, we don't okay. operate on the back belt, but we receive the train on the other side gotcha. by airline highway. So it's Norfolk Southern that's the infamous Metairie road uh, blocking train? Yes. <laughs> yep. And, um, you know, and, and it, it goes back to um, most people don't, you know, understand that because it's a gateway, a lot of those backups and things could be occurring from other parts of the gateway. Right. So it's really important that we all work together. And that was um, the importance of us kind of taking the New Orleans public belt and having them take more of a mindset of looking at the, the health of the entire gateway versus just taking, you know, one, one the view of one railroad. Got you. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, you got the cruises at a little less than 20%. You said public belt was 30 ish. And then the cargo is the, is about 50. Um, that cargo itself, you guys ended up pretty close to where you would have been. Is that true? Or how, how off was it? Well, um, it's a combination. So our about 50% of our cargo is break bulk, which tends to be um, imports and their natural uh, metals, uh, rubber, steel, would that has been a, a little bit of a challenging industry for the last two or three years a lot of the steel tariffs um, really impacted the business because uh, uh, we're one of our prime com commodities on the river is imported steel right. uh, we were down as about probably 35 percent in break bulk um, a couple of years ago that's down to about 17 percent now we're starting to see some of that tick up so that was already a little bit depressed before covid um, on the containerized side, um, we've had phenomenal growth. We've doubled our volumes in the last 10 years. The last five years, we've grown at least 10% a year, um, which is pretty phenomenal. We were on track to um, probably get very close to that again. Uh, when COVID hit, we were in the fourth quarter, so that definitely impacted. Um, that's where uh, that first quarter is where we saw um, the container business really get hit and that's when it, the, uh, the virus was in Asia and they were uh, quarantining the manufacturers so a lot of cargo wasn't coming in from Asia. So in the first few months of COVID, containers really started to halt. Um, that volume um, definitely has come back and what you're starting to see in the container market is really a surge particularly now with imports is, you know, people are staying home, they're ordering more through Amazon and online. Right. Um, that's all coming back. So we ended up closing out the year with about a 2% growth because of that last quarter um, with COVID. Uh, this year, we should um, have be back to um, volumes with probably some projected growth. We did have some challenges that were actually more related to the seven uh, threatened the hurricanes Oh, that right. <laughs> we're coming to the Gulf because, you know, when that happens, you have to shut operations and cargo gets diverted. Um, so that'll probably impact some of our numbers. But right now we're actually starting to experience a bit of a surge. And frankly, that's probably one of the biggest opportunities 
for the New Orleans region is in the containerized business, um, not just for the port, but I think of anything that COVID uh, taught um, not only the everyday citizen or a person, but also retailers and manufacturing is the importance of logistics in supply chain. Right. And they're really, it's causing a demand and a resurgence in um, local warehousing and having more distribution centers um, so that a major retailer doesn't rely on one port, one market for their distribution that I think you're going to see them really spread their activity across the country to have backup plans, whether it's a, a pandemic or it's a natural disaster in an area of their supply chain. Um, so we're seeing tremendous interest in not only um, shipping services, but you're starting to see distribution centers really looking at Baton, Baton Rouge in New, in New Orleans for distribution centers because we have access to six class ones and we can move cargo all the way into the Midwest and the Southeast very efficiently. I saw that, you know, Amazon's doing that facility out in, near Lafayette and Karen Crow. Uh, I, I guess it's because it's, it's where 40 and 20, uh, 10 meet, but yep. it seemed like I could have been here. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that it speaks to, you know, they have um, very large um, distribution centers, then they have regional and then local um, in, uh, fulfillment centers. Um, you know, you've got uh, up in that area, you've got access into a few different markets by truck and some rail. Um, I think what you're going to see is that kind of starts a process where you'll see more investment. For example, they're in negotiations to uh, open up some other facilities in Baton Rouge. Um, they have done a very small um, uh, fulfillment center in Jefferson Parish. But uh, the exciting thing about it is Typically, where Amazon starts to invest in distribution, you start to see the others follow. Okay. Um, which is great um, for us. Uh, you know, you just saw Medline just got their approval for um, zoning in Tangibo Parish for a distribution center. And Medline is the biggest producer of uh, medical devices and equipment. Um, so it's for us, that's great because as a containerized port, we desperately need the imports. We are an anomaly. Um, in the country, most port, container ports, they, are, they um, have too many imports coming in. They don't have any exports, you know, kind of back to we don't manufacture enough in the U.S. We're different here in New Orleans. We are very export heavy because of the plastic resins that are being produced by the petrochemical plants in Louisiana. So we really need the imports coming in. And so distribution centers are a great way to get imports. In other words, because if you have more going out than coming in, you don't, you don't want to have empty ships leaving port. Is that what it is? You want to- uh, it's, well, it, it, you definitely don't want empty ships, but if you think about it, it's an equipment issue because you need that container. So if I have all these exports and not enough imports, I don't have enough boxes. Um, so I, and so then somebody's going to have to pay to get an empty box to this market. And that's either going to be the cost to the railroad or to the, ocean carrier. So uh, the more imports we can have right here in the region, um, the more competitive we are. Now, that, I guess related to that is a story I just did um, about TCI packaging, that whole deal that happened over the last 10 years where they, where they brought all that the PVC resin packaging yep. here so that it doesn't have to all go to Houston instead. You know, and he said it was, it's obviously been great for the city. And I know they've actually 
they've um, what they're using some space that they're renting or they've even purchased some mm -hmm. from. Uh, yeah. The port, they've got a couple of leaseholds in some property all around the port facilities because they basically package those and stuff them into containers and ship them out through the Napoleon Container Terminal. Yeah, and he was saying that it's, it's more valuable if it's packaged versus just... Uh, Absolutely, yeah. But he also mentioned that even with that infrastructure, there's still, it's a fraction of what's happening, say, in Houston, so there's room for growth, right? Absolutely, you know, and it's a good example. When you look at Louisiana, um, for example, I said we are the biggest importer of steel. All that, most of that steel is being trucked or barged up into other states. It's not being manufactured here in Louisiana, you know, auto plants, et cetera. So we're losing out on those additional economic benefits and job creation. So one product that we, that you see everything's done with is we are one of the biggest uh, importers of coffee beans here in New Orleans. And everything done for coffee is done right here in New Orleans. Everything from sorting, cleaning, packaging, shipping happens. And so that's really the goal is to be able to get all the side benefits. So if we have all these petrochemical plants, why wouldn't we want them being using the port of New Orleans, your state port, instead of you know taking the product and giving all the business to Texas or right. Alabama, Savannah, is it's those benefits because it helps create jobs here in New Orleans, in the region, um, for all the port activity. And it's a side benefit of having the petrochemical industry. So you're, when you said talk about coffee, you said a lot of it happens here. So do you, um, can you explain? Like, I know there's Folgers here, but um, mm -hmm. does a lot of the coffee that goes to a lot of the other, like does Starbucks stuff come through this way or is that all West Coast? How does this work? <laughs> I don't you know. know. It's, a, it's a combination. Um, they, they all have various different contracts and it could be, um, you know, for example, Folgers is uh, imports through New Orleans and has their main sorting, roasting and packaging facilities. So that services all of their retail um, outlets. And then some of some of the um, coffee, they'll have individual contracts, say, you know, with a chain like PJ's or um, gotcha. Starbucks. So it's a combination. Gotcha. Uh, here's another dumb question. Um, well, this is inspired by a conversation I had with somebody last Mardi Gras talking about the process of getting all the throws here. And I was surprised because they said a lot of it comes to the Port of Los Angeles and gets mm -hmm. trucked or trained. I, can't, I think maybe trains. But, Train. So um, why the heck wouldn't that be coming to New Orleans? Like, is it just because of where it's coming, what part of the world it's coming from? Is that what it is? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's, we always kind of joke here at the Port of New Orleans, we always say, we know we've made it when all the beads are coming through the Port of New Orleans. <laughs> Because uh, I've, I've gotten phone calls from uh, Mardi Gras crews asking me to call the Port of Los Angeles and get their uh, their container. It's been uh, stuck there. Yeah. But it's um, traditionally because most of the, the beads, the products are made in Asia or in China. Okay. And a lot of the um, LA, Long Beach, Oakland, they had a lot of the Asian services prior to the Panama Canal. Um, that was most Asian um, uh, carrier services went into the West Coast. And now with the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal, you're seeing the Gulf really become a contender for all of the Asian services. And uh, the Port of New Orleans got their first Asian service, gosh, it had to be four or five years ago. And uh, we just announced, I think it's now our uh, fourth Asian service, third direct Asian service uh, with the Alliance. So we've become a big market um, for Asian services. So I think more and more you'll see that option to come direct to New Orleans.
Yeah, I mean, if something's if something's got to get from from Shenzhen to uh, New York, what what's the most logical thing they're going to do? Are they going to are they going to go to West Coast and take another train, or are they going to go around? <laughs> what do they do? You know, it's it's always um, uh, a cost issue is going to be the first um, thing that they look at, and what other cargo are they already moving that is destined for a market. Um, you know, traditionally the West Coast, and that it always boggles the mind, but it was um, seen as cheaper to go to the West Coast because you had direct access, because it could take 30 days right. to sail a container ship from Asia to the United States, or to New Orleans. Um, you save some days in transit going to Los Angeles, but uh, you could actually take the, the, all of those containers and rail them to Chicago, across the country, um, that's how a lot of products have moved into the country. Um, you see a lot of product actually coming in through Canada, through Prince Rupert, uh, through the CN Railroad down into Chicago and then distribute it. That's West Coast, um, that's like by Victoria or something? Okay. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, it is actually um, traditionally how um, it has worked. It's been more affordable, but Panama Canal has shortened that travel time to get to the Gulf into the East Coast. And so that's why you've seen the Gulf and the East Coast um, take a lot of, start growing their market share. But, you know, the West Coast, there's a lot of population, a lot of markets to, to serve. So they'll always continue to be very strong as well. Understood. Okay, I'm going to ask you about upcoming stuff, uh, things around the bend, but I did want to ask one other question. <laughs> I'm like a kid, I feel like this is Port 101. But um, <laughs> So I know we've got, what, five different ports along the Southern Mississippi River, is that right? Uh, what, five, um, we kind of call them deep water ports up to uh, Baton Rouge. So um, is it, Port Nola is, does more container than say Port of South Louisiana, is that what it is? Port of South, port of South Louisiana is more break bulk or is it backwards? Yeah, I think uh, traditionally each of the ports have kind of had their niche based on their geography and demographics in natural products. Um, New Orleans is the only international container port. Uh, deep water, you have to have very deep water. Um, the nuance to that is actually we have partnered with the Port of Baton Rouge um, where a lot of the petrochemical plants are located. They don't have um, as much water depth, but what they, what they can take is barges. So what actually happens is we have a container on barge service. We moved uh, 26,000 uh, TEUs last year, which is 20 foot containers. Uh, what happens is the barge goes up to Memphis and it picks up a bunch of empty containers okay. because they have a surplus of them. The barge then goes up to the port of Baton Rouge where the petrochemical pl plants truck their plastic resins. They get loaded into the containers and barged and cleared and barged to um, New Orleans. So it goes directly from the Port of Baton Rouge onto the docks of the Port of New Orleans. And it, so it takes all those trucks off the road from running between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Um, so it's a partnership between Port of Baton Rouge and New Orleans. So we're the, right now the two only ports in Louisiana doing containers. Well, that, that, that actually was sort of answered my question, which was, how how collaborative versus competitive are the are all the ports that are lined up down the river here? I mean, how you much? Know, it's a, yeah, you know, it's a combination. Um, I think historically, because we all had kind of niche in different markets we were serving. You know, South Louisiana does a lot of uh, more bulk and uh, grain. It's just naturally the market, and 
some of the ports, they're in more uh, rural settings where they can have certain activities like LNG or plants or grain elevators, just things we can't do here in New Orleans in a populated area. So we've each had a combination, um, but there have been areas where there has been some competition, um, but I think we work really hard to try to coordinate a strategy. And that's something you know I think we've always pushed for is that's important. There's such limited resources and operating on the river is very expensive infrastructure, um, takes a lot of resources. And, you know, it's just the, the important thing is to grow the pie, not just to move the pie. Right. Um, so, um, you know, it, it can't be, we can't look at it from, you know, uh, individual parish perspective. We really have to look at it as a regional perspective. And, you know, really that's, um, I think where logistics is going, if you look at the petrochemical industry, I mean, most of the plants are in Baton Rouge or more north, and um, that's a good example of being able to partner and coordinate so that the um, direct and indirect benefits in economic development can help a number of regions. Understood. Um, how much lobbying have you guys done for federal help and how much federal help have you gotten or how much have you needed? I mean, I, you, I mean, I don't know how you and all the other ports, I don't know how off you were for 2020. Like what's the, yeah. what's the situation? You know, you, uh, the American Association of Port Authorities um, has done a tremendous job in terms of advocating for some type of um, package that would help the, um, the ports through the COVID situation. Um, there was uh, support with FEMA and some of the CARES Act in terms of reimbursement for some of the expenses for PPE, et cetera. Um, there was not a kind of a bailout package, if you will, will that you saw with like the airline industry. Um, some of the ports, you know, a lot of ports didn't get hit too hard um, initially the first few months, but then you saw a surge in their, con their containerized business. Really the ports that um, got hit the hardest were the cruise ports. Right. And, you know, the, the challenge there is that the cruise industry, um, they are not American companies. I was going to say, there's an issue And there. so there hasn't necessarily been a support for a bailout of the cruise industry. So it has been a challenge for the cruise ports. Yeah, um, I guess. But that I'll goes back to why we really were so thankful that we, have ma we made the decision purposefully to, to have a diversified revenue mix because if we were just a cruise port that would have that would have been a challenge there was the uh i guess you'd seen a lot of stories in the last few years uh, or i'd seen stories about what is it i can't remember carnival was headquartered in is it panama or something or you know they, they've done that for for tax reasons and i guess yeah this is the, the perfect example of why that maybe wasn't the best idea well, and it's, it's difficult because, um, uh, you know, they actually have a lot of headquarter offices in um, America. Most of the offices are actually like Miami area. Right. Um, they're flagged, they're um, incorporated, incorporated in, say, the Bahamas, et cetera. And partly that's because, you know, they, they operate across the, the entire world. A lot of their crew are coming from foreign countries. And right. North America right. has traditionally been one of their biggest markets, but... They also have grown tremendously in Australia, in Europe. So it is one of those challenges is you can't be incorporated in every section of the world, but um, it definitely played into some of the support. 
Yeah, because right, because if you just compare what happened with the cruise 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 lines versus the airlines, it's a uh, night and day. So, no. Um, okay, so just a couple of uh, questions. I'm sort of running out of time here. Uh, I'm really I'm really interested in everything you have to say right now. The um, so I know that there's this there's this potential downriver expansion, and you guys are in the, just about finished all this. What the new cranes? And the, talk to me about the stuff you just you're finishing, and then the potential stuff, and and why it's necessary, and what it can mean. Certainly. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, one of our um, biggest growth areas and biggest opportunities has been in the containerized business. Uh, so uh, last year we embarked on a $100 million expansion of the current facility at Napoleon, uh, and that was the manufacturing and installation of four uh, giant 100-foot um, engine cranes. Uh, they're larger, bigger. Uh, they can uh, process the bigger ships faster and quicker and increase our capacity. Uh, just to give you an example, the, you know, each crane alone is about $14 million mm -hmm. um, per crane, plus you have to do all the infrastructure. Um, following that project, we'll also have some expansion projects of the container, container yards to grow capacity. And that's just to keep up with the growth, uh, you know, particularly when you're growing at 10% a year, um, you've gotta um, be efficient at, on every aspect of the terminal. Um, but uh, one of the um, keys to that is also staying competitive with the size of vessels. Um, so that's why at the same time, we've been very aggressive in our plans to also uh, site and locate a second container terminal more downriver so that as the containerized, the ships uh, calling the Gulf get larger, that we can handle those ships so that we have both the ability to take a bigger ship, but also uh, the footprint to take more um, cargo. So we recently, um, in partnership with the Port of St. Bernard actually, we uh, did a uh, deal where we um, took ownership of the, the waterfront, the uh, old Violet Dockport property, and doing uh, two-year due diligence on the surrounding property, about a thousand acres, um, to potentially develop a uh, new container facility that could handle the largest vessels um, calling the golf. Is there an element of it too that is, that it makes sense to, that there's a limited amount of space here in, in Hawaii Parish in the city and that people are trying to live and there's the, you know, all the, maybe some issues about access to the river and like, you know, how do you use it best for downtown where the convention center is? Does it make sense for you to expand and get down river where there's less congestion and everything? Uh, you know, somewhat of a, a I guess a combination from a standpoint of, um, yes, we're very landlocked at Napoleon. Um, you know, there's just not too much footprint to expand. If, if you put it into context, I mean, I think we operate on a hundred acres. Right. You know? And so we've essentially opened up almost all of the, the waterfront um, besides that hundred acres. So it's um, really for us, the bigger issue is the Crescent City Connection Bridge. And that limits a ship getting uh, under that bridge. Understood. So um, we will continue to operate Napoleon. It will complement this new terminal. Um, it'll just take a little bit, of, keep the smaller vessels and some more of the niche type of business. Um, so that'll allow us to meet the forecasted growth for decades and decades um, that is forecasted for the river. So before you put these new four awesome cranes here at Napoleon, what, how many were there? Uh, we had six, yeah. And when we get done, we'll have nine. Uh, we're actually going to keep um, 
we're going to decommission a couple and then we're going to um, keep uh, some of the uh, one or two of the older ones just so that we can use it for the container on barge service or smaller vessels. So we'll have nine total. Understood. Right now you see six. And then um, is it a thing where like they're just like lined up in a row and you can off all of all nine will be able to operate simultaneously. It's like you could be unloading nine. Different yeah. Uh, and, and they actually they're on rails. And so oh, they all yeah. took like little um, tracks where they slide back and forth a certain distance so they can align to the size of the vessel. So typically um, you could see two to three cranes at a time on one vessel. Okay. So you can do you can use multiple in one in one vessel. That's cool. Yeah. And then down river theoretically let's say what if this if the planning goes a certain way, what ten years from now you might see a bunch of others operating down there as well? Exactly. And uh, the beauty of us having the facility here is that we can approach the project downriver in a more phased fashion, um, depending on growth and demand. Um, the goal is to get a berth open um, so that we can start taking the larger vessels. But we're planning to have the ability to have at least four to five cranes per vessel um, because they would be larger vessels. Gotcha. And, any, um, any, I'm sorry. I would say the, and the other benefit, the one of the reasons we are um, looking to acquire so much land, if you put it in perspective, Napoleon is 100 acres. Um, you know, we potentially would be building on 1,100 acres. Mm, okay. And so not only ability for growth, but the ability uh, to have, you know, buffers to the surrounding community to attract other businesses that we just can't right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that would like to be near dock to a container terminal. Um, we've just not been able to entertain that. So um, really provides that opportunity, again, to create the ancillary economic development opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that seems, that seems like obviously the, the, the direction to go in. And you couldn't, you can't expand, you couldn't go upriver, right? That's, that's not your, that's Port of South Louisiana. That wouldn't well, be it's, it's more upriver would be an even bigger challenge because the Huey P. Long Bridge oh, is correct. even lower right. than the Crescent Connection. And so, um, you know, and that's partly what's kind of defined the, um, the, you know, the, the type of port that operates in South Louisiana or in Jefferson Parish or New Orleans is, is somewhat air draft does restrict what kind of vessels can call. Oh, that makes total sense, right? So anything going above the, the Crescent City Connection or the Huey P or the Luling Bridge, it has to be able to, I mean, those are smaller than what's going to come to you. Exactly. And that's why you'll see our cruise ships, literally the terminals right before the bridge. Right. Because they can't get under. That's it. That's the last stop. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, this has been great. I really appreciate this, uh, this Port 101 lesson and it's exciting to hear about the, the changes. <clears throat> And I'm glad the year wasn't as, as disruptive as it could have been, uh, obviously the cruise being the worst of it. So I'm gonna ask you, my, the same last question I ask everybody when we do these uh, for this whole year is, uh, we've had a crazy, uh, well, 10 months. Um, looking ahead at, at, at your jurisdiction and at this just New Orleans economy in general, what makes you, what are you concerned about and what gives you hope? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I think always um, my concern is, you know, how fast will the economy recover and how that impacts, you know, from an individual standpoint to a business standpoint, because at the end of the day, there is tremendous potential and there's a tremendous need for infrastructure, you know, to your point earlier is, you know, there's more need for capital and for infrastructure than there is money and resources. 
Um, so to take, you know, op- take advantage and opportunity, um, you've got to have those resources. Um, so that's obviously challenging, not quite knowing where the economy is going to go. I think of anything um, that COVID um, kind of showed the region, but also the everyday citizen was the importance of the river and of um, the container business of ports. I mean, 90% of what's in your house, it came on an ocean carrier. Mm-hmm. It came by ship. And you know, when people struggle to, you know, know, gosh, is there going to be toilet paper at the grocery store? Is there going to be grocery on the shelves? You know, the importance of railroads and trucks and ports became very apparent. Um, and when the city was shutting down and businesses were being closed, one thing never stopped, the river. And it's a tremendous industry that I think if we really pay attention to and reinvest, it has a huge opportunity um, to be, you know, it is one of the biggest economies along with hospitality in this region, but it can be even more. And I think what you're going to see coming out of COVID is that focus on logistics and trade. And we're extremely well positioned for that. Um, so for, for me, that's what's exciting. And at the port, it's our job to make sure that we deliver the infrastructure. Because as I, you know, as you were saying, Port 101, you know, the everyday person doesn't know what the operations looks like or what it happens here, but they know what it is to fly through an airport. Right. And the importance of an airport, well, you know, if you want to attract a Fortune 500 company to New Orleans, they're not going to have a conversation with you if you don't have an international airport. Right. You know, you're just not even on the list. It's the same with an cont- international container port. If you don't have a facility like that, you're never going to be a big player for the manufacturing and for the distribution centers. So it's our job to make sure that we stay competitive and keep the region competitive by having the facilities. Um, so, you know, I, I'm excited by our plans and the support for the plans because um, I think the momentum's there and that can really grow an industry and help further diversify the region in terms of the economic base. That sounds good. I hope it all comes to fruition. Uh, Brandy, Christian, thank you so much for this great podcast. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Take care. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biz talks.